Children can be dismissed to Sunday school. And what a joy it was to have so many young voices uh, Friday night with us, worshiping with us. You guys are laughing about that. And it reminds us, doesn't it, uh, of the next generation uh, to pray for and to encourage and to be a witness to, right? Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let me invite you to open them with me to the Gospel of John, <clears throat> chapter number 8. And as you're thinking uh, throughout this week, do pray for Mark and Yvonne. They're heading down to Virginia. Uh, Miss Yvonne, as some of you may know, her father passed away last week. So uh, do be praying as they head down. And uh, Tuesday they'll be leaving, uh, going down to be with her family in Winchester, so do pray for them as they go. Continue to, to lift them up in prayer, if you would. And I um, hope you had a wonderful day yesterday, and if not, it's over, and the Lord has given you a new day, uh, so you can be thankful for that anyway. Now, my intentions is to return back to the uh, our study in the uh, book of Hebrews next year, and we'll probably say that all week, won't we? We'll see you next year and all that stuff, but... Um, I mean next Sunday is what I mean by that. Hebrews chapter number 12, if you want to go ahead and read along and kind of be prepared for that, be praying for me as I prepare uh, to jump back into our study in Hebrews. Uh, this morning, uh, because we are uh, captivated by many things this time of year, uh, and uh, as we are captivated, it's always good to be, uh, uh, to be encouraged and allow the Lord encourage us because we're celebrating the Lord's birth and all that that entails and part of that celebration revolves around a, a world uh, of lights that we can just string and put on just about anything that we can find uh, to put lights on. I don't know if you've uh, driven down to Amsterdam at night. It's a very dark drive most of the way until you get about halfway and then it's almost like an airport right there at a couple of houses. I mean, they're just so lit up. Unavoidable. Uh, as we see the lights that they've put out there. I want to ask them how much the electric bill is, but I don't dare do that. Uh, and so we come to John chapter number 8. Our text this morning is found in verse number 12. Um, and as we celebrate with lights uh, and we uh, put them on everything, I thought it appropriate this morning to consider the light that God has given to us, and that is his son, Jesus Christ, uh, and that is what Jesus speaks to us about in John chapter number 8 and verse number 12. Now I want to begin reading in verse number 12. I'll read down to verse number 20 just to give us some context of what's going on here. And then we'll look at this uh, passage together, a few things out of it, Lord willing. Beginning in verse number 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. 
They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These things he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises that you have given to us. Speak to us this morning. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love the the verse number 20. At the end of that, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus reminds his followers that no one takes his life, but he lays it down. And if he lays it down, he will take it up again. That authority given to him from the Father. Well, as we look at this bold uh, passage in verse number 12 and uh, together this morning, I want to begin by just kind of setting the scene for us or, or describing the event, which I think is described back in verse number 7 or chapter number 7, if you'll look back with me, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture saith, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It is in this context that most scholars agree that that verse number 12 is attached to. The events which which promote or and, and this this teaching of Jesus is attached is connected with is that of the Feast of the Tabernacle. It is a week-long celebration of, of joy and remembrance. It's, it's kind of like a harvest celebration of God's provision uh, during the 40 years in the wilderness wandering. God gave them water out of the rock, and it is there where Jesus says, Come to me if you're thirsty. And, and we see here in this particular area found in verse number 20 in the treasury, as it were, of the temple uh, he makes this bold claim that he is the light of the world. It was customary during the uh, the feast that they would set up these great big uh, candles or, or pillars or torches, whatever you want to call them. They didn't have floodlights, but this was the next best thing. Uh, they were set up in the court of the women where most all Jewish people would have been allowed to go that were um, ceremonial clean and and in that way, but they would go in there, and in part of the celebration was to light these big four torches. It would light up the city. One source explains it best when they said, Men of piety and good words danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises. Levitical orchestras cut loose, and some sources attest that they went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles for the light from the temple area shed its glow all over Jerusalem. You can imagine just the scene that it would be. Then anywhere you were at in Jerusalem, from any courtyard, you could see the temple lit up from this festivity and celebration that was going on. It was a celebration of the glory and presence of God uh, that carried them, led them along their way in the wilderness wandering. They were, they were joyfully remembering God's light. Uh, as he guided them. It was in that context Jesus stood up and said to them, uh, almost as if the, the celebration itself was a pulpit and platform to him to say, you think that's something? Let me just tell you what God has provided through me. But it wasn't just in the, uh, in the event of all of that was going on. It was in a time of expectation. 
The people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah. It was in one sense a, a politically and, and, and economically and socially dark day for Israel. Rome occupying the city and, uh, and all of the other stuff was going on. The nation itself rent in half with uh, Sadducees and Pharisees and, and all of the tension and turmoil. And, it, and, and to add to that, you got zealots who are trying to throw out Rome and uh, carrying daggers and all this stuff that was going It was a very dark day in the time of Israel. They had not heard from God for 400 years directly. No prophet had stepped out and said, this is what the Lord says, speaking to them. And, and so you see this kind of anticipation building up all through their literature uh, in that middle part of those 400 years through the Maccabean revolts and all of that. But it wasn't just that anticipation. They were right to expect God to send them a Messiah. But not just a Messiah. Simeon puts it best in Luke chapter number 2, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. Both declaring that God's gift to them would be described, best illustrated by saying he would be a light. Uh, coming off of the Old Testament uh, prophecies back in Isaiah chapter number 9, those who sat in darkness will see a great light. Or in chapter 42 and 49, both conveying the same message that God will give the Messiah, this promised one, for the people, a light for the nations. It is with this anticipation building up and at this celebration that Jesus makes this bold exclamation in verse number 12. Look at it again with me. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know this is one of Jesus' I am statements. Uh, it connects us with the Old Testament and, and uh, the name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, when Moses says, what is your name? And God gives him that self-existent name, I am the I am. I am who I am. And I am always who I am uh, as he speaks to Moses. And John uses seven of these statements declaring both Jesus' deity and the implications of that deity in the world. He's speaking about him being the light of the world in our text. We see that he is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Over and over, just filling out what does it mean and who is this Messiah? He is, he is God himself. He is the light of the world. But it's also a bold statement, not only in connection with the Old Testament, but it is a bold statement in the fact that him saying and pointing to himself in such a a bold way, isn't it? I am the light of the world. It doesn't say I am a light of the world. I am a light in the world. I am among other lights in the world. Now, I know that some of you are, are like me and you, you have a string of Christmas lights around your Christmas tree that has all kinds of different colors on them. You know, you got red and green and blue and white and some of them dance and, and sing and, and all. Well, I mean, I've seen that anyway. They do all sorts of stuff. We admire them all, and sometimes you sit and you look at all the color, and we're wondering, isn't this amazing? Which one's your favorite? I don't know. I just take them all. But it isn't that way here. 
Jesus making this definite statement that there is no other options. There's no, there's no plan three. There's no B, C, D, and there's no other categories. He is the light of the world. It is him and him alone. In fact, pointing back to that manifestation of the glory of God in the wilderness wandering, he's saying, I am that light that guided them then, and I'm the light now. Drawing all that attention to himself, saying that I am the light of the world. What an ambitious statement it is for him to say such a thing. Not just of the Jews. He was Jewish. He was King David. Maybe he was of the lineage. So maybe that was good for the Jewish people. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say I'm just the light of Jerusalem. He says I am the light of the world. Of every nation. Of every tribe. Of every culture. Of every context. Of every of every kind of weird quirk, all of that, the answers found in this one light. What can be seen and the benefits of light is only found in this one person, Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here when he says, I am the light of the world. It is a bold statement, but it's also a good thing. Just as if you're scared of the dark when you're a kid, it's always a good thing when someone leaves the light on for you. I know I've said this before, and I know some of you probably have made fun of me, but when I'm home by myself and Mary's gone, if she's gone somewhere overnight, I leave lights on in the house, you know. It makes me feel better when I sleep. It's like I'm not by myself. <laughs> there's a comfort, there's a goodness in light. But notice what he says in verse number 12. I am the light of the world in that aggressive, bold statement. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see what he's saying, that I am the light of the world, and there will be people who follow me, and they will not walk in darkness. There's a way to walk in this world. There's a way to live in this world where we are not living in darkness. In fact, John actually con. Uh, contrast that of light and darkness all through the gospel you see them at war in chapter number one as mark has read and he reminds us though they may seem at war the light will win darkness cannot overcome it now, darkness itself is the implication here in verse number 12 and oftentimes in the word of god can be referred to as as death itself Many of our poetic literature and Job speaks about it in this way. Uh, there is a darkness associated with death. Mainly because you close your eyes and you don't see the world as it is anymore. There's also a reality when we look at the word of God. And, and even in the world today, darkness is associated with calamity. We've heard that. These are dark days we live in. Who can uh, say amen to that? I mean, we look at the world and it's all upside down and it's the same friction and it never fixes itself. There's a reason for that, isn't there? Because it will never fix itself at enmity with God. God will fix it one day, though. Praise God for that. You see, darkness being described in calamity, darkness of the days and darkness of the events and, and all of the hardships that people face, and, and we experience that to some degree, but there's a darkness in the Old Testament that is referred not just to calamity, but calamity associated with the judgment of God. One of the prophets speaking of the day of the Lord, which the people would, would muse about, kind of like us in our day. One day Jesus is going to return. Well, the prophet takes this moment to an unrepented, rebellious people and say, you're not ready for it. You keep saying the day of the Lord, I don't think you know what that means. It is a day of darkness, not a day of light. 
a day of calamity, not a day of joy. Why? Because they were unprepared to meet him. God would meet them in judgment upon their sin. So we see the darkness uh, being described in that way. But there's also a darkness being associated. And I think here there's, uh, it brings out that with our ignorance. Living in ignorance. Now, I know we don't like that word. It sounds bad, doesn't it? Someone calls you ignorant, you take offense to that. We, I re, we were on vacation with uh, Bradley. And you guys don't know him. I, I just said that like you guys know him, didn't I? <laughs> Our son Bradley. <laughs> uh, this past August, we were reminiscing, having a good time, talking about when he used to work for me, and, and it was free labor. Uh, but anyway, he used to work for me. And he said, I would go around all the time and, and used to say, don't be ignorant. That means do not be ignorant, if you don't understand what I'm saying there. I think his memory was better than mine because I don't remember saying that. But usually when I said that, if I did say that, it was always in a negative sense. Don't be ignorant. I, I put it in that way because the Bible teaches that we live in an ignorance. We're born ignorant when it comes to the reality of God. And all that flows from that. Ephesians 4.18 says it this way. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Because of the reason they're alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart. And by that we do not know who God is. And what God we do know. What ways in which we try to find him is always distorted. We are blind when it comes to spiritual sight. Well, it doesn't mean we're not religious. It doesn't mean we're not worshipers. In fact, we are relentlessly so. Instead of coming to the reality of who God is and the true God, we've suppressed that truth and that revelation. We make of ourselves a God that we can handle, a God that we can control, a God that we can fear, a God we can skews away altogether. And we've done that ever since Adam and Eve Living because our sinful disposition, our rejection of the truth and revelation of God has brought us to a place of blindness to who God is. Many people gather around this morning in many places which claim to be the place of religious expression and all all of it is an expression operating in the dark. As if they come to sing their hymns and sing their songs and carry out their traditions with their eyes closed because they don't know who they serve. Jesus rebukes the Samaritan woman for this. You, you serve a God, you worship, and you do not know who it is. And yet here it is this kind of ignorance which Christ has come to meet. But because we've lost the vision and reality of God, we've lost the vision and reality of us. There's a darkness not only in our understanding of God, but in our own moral concept of life, of who we are. Our affections and our actions are distorted against God and against others. What God, what purpose God has created us for, what what meaning that he has given us in life is lost. And we've been searching around for it again with our eyes closed. We see that in, in, in one of the greatest struggles in our world today in, the, in trying to find the reality of who are we? Who am I? How many of you ever looked in the mirror and asked that question? 
who am I? Maybe you haven't done that. That's kind of weird, isn't it? You wouldn't raise your hand for that anyway. I don't blame you. I haven't either. But that is a question that we are not equipped to answer. The reason we're not equipped to answer is because we cannot see clearly. We, we, we look for help all around us and we find blind guides willing to lead us into another ditch or another place to try to find some expression of who we are, to find the authentic, the true us, the, the real or the, the new or whatever it may be. And we put the, the determiner of that, the, the author of us in our own hands saying that we've created ourselves. That's what we've done. And not only have we done that with ourselves, we're giving that power and authority to children in our culture. My goodness, we're, we're broken, blind. That's what the Bible teaches us. Because we've lost the sight of whose image we are meant to bear, we lose the sight of ourselves as well. We are desperately needy. It's like we're looking for our keys with the lights out. How many of you ever done that? You're just scrimmaging through the house. You want to turn the light on. When um, Mary and I experienced our first winter here, which was an experience all in itself, as you know, it was our men's conference weekend, and we we had a power outage. We had lights over in at the Camp of the Woods, and we didn't have lights at our house. I don't know what God was telling us as the Egypt illustration or what, but... Pastor Ed and I ran home, turned the generator on, and and there my family sat in the dark. Flashlights. Took us a year and a half to figure out that one light in the house works when you turn the generator on. Made all the difference in the world, you know. You try to function and shave and shower and all that in the dark. The water works, the heat works, all that works, but no lights. You just can't do it. I wouldn't, uh, uh, some of you don't look like you shave, but if you did shave, I wouldn't suggest you try that. What I'm saying is that we in our human condition left to ourselves without an intervention from God, a ray of light, some kind of direction, we're looking for our stuff with the lights off. It's futile. It's futile. We're busy. We're smart. We're educated. But we'll never get there. We miss the point because we cannot see. We're blind. It is in this situation that we see Christ speaking to us He exposes us. And that's what light does, doesn't it? It exposes us. Now, we use expose in a negative sense. You know, found out, you might say. But I want to just say in a positive way, Christ has come. The light of the world has come to expose us. To what? Well, to come to expose us to God. Who he is. It is in our sinful disposition, it is in our natural inclination to distort God, make Him something other than Himself. And Christ comes into the world, the only one who has truly seen the Father, we see in John 1, the only one who knows the Father, as we see in Matthew 11. It is He who has come to make Him known. Uh, the wording there in verse number 18 of John chapter 1 is He's come to expose Him, to explain Him, to exegete Him, to declare Him before all of us. Who he is and what he's like. And and I love that in John 1 where he says, here comes Jesus full of grace and truth. Full of it. He has come to expose us to the who God is. 
who he truly is, in his magnificence, in his might, in his power, in his actions, in his deeds. And and he exposes us to who God is because he exposes us to himself. For you and me, it would be selfish for us to point others to ourselves and say, do it like I do it. Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. That would be a ridiculous claim, wouldn't it? You would need to be, you would need, someone would need to sit down with you and have a talk. Rightfully so. But it is not selfish. and It is not arrogant for Jesus to stand up and say, look to me and see. Look to me to the ends of the earth and be saved. Because he says he has come from the Father. The Father bears witness to him and his witness is true. Verse number 18. He has come to declare himself the light of the world. He has come to expose us to the Father and the Father's word. But he's also come to help us see us more clearly. We are created in the image of God. And if the Westminster Catechism is close to being right, he's come to show us the express purpose. You know what I'm trying to say there. Purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You are created in the image of God to show and declare his glory. The purpose we've lost in the garden is regained at Calvary. It is regained in the presence of Christ and in fellowship with him. But it is that exposing work that is quite uncomfortable, isn't it, church? Because not only does it show us purpose, but it does show us pain. What do I mean by pain? Not that it hurts like your arm hurts. Or you, you know, you, you stumped your toe or whatever it may be. No, it hurts because it exposes who we are. The word of God does not make us sinful. It just exposes what's there underneath. It shows us the reality of how far we've fallen from God. How far from the mark we have missed. It exposes us in our, our, our true natural habitation. It shows, like a light does in any dark room, once they click it on, it just exposes what's in the room. And as we come to the gospel, it has that exposing effect on us. We, we come and we, we, we see it and it exposes us to what justice and holiness and goodness and love and sacrifice and all of that is. And in that exposure, there is an element of pain in knowing that none of those things are you. That we've all sinned against him. We've all fallen short of his glory. We've all missed the mark. We've all lost our way and our purpose. But there is a necessary pain in life. You know that. Some of you remember as you were a child, maybe, as you were riding your bicycle and you fell and you scraped your knee and you got those little gravels in the, in the cut on your knee. Or maybe it's asphalt you got in your knee and you're like, that hurt really bad. And you almost think your mom is more cruel than the wreck itself as she goes, let me pour a little alcohol on it. I, how about no? You know, if I got options about that. But you don't when you're a kid. You have to go through the pain. It's necessary. And there's an element to that when the gospel exposes us, there's a need that we no longer we no longer walk in our ignorance and blindness in order to walk in light and to be cured from those things, we must face the reality of the way things are. 
It's that way in every other area in life. And it is only in the element of religion where we have a problem with that the most. It's okay if your tax guy tells you how things are, you don't like it, you deal with it. It's okay if your doctor tells you how things are, you don't like it, you deal with it. When the word of God exposes us, what do we do? We don't accept it, we don't like it, and we don't deal with it. Much like the Pharisees here, many will, as the Bible tells us in John, and this is the judgment that light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He says they love the darkness. They love the cover of the blackness to, to hide them. And sometimes in our mind we think, boy, that's, that's true of the murderers and bank robbers and all those people in jail, right? How many of you think that way? People that do bad stuff in the dark. And yet here's the Pharisees of the religious people of the day. Scribes were people like that. Asking Jesus, who do you claim to be? How do you say this? Your, your words are not true. You bear witness of yourself. Oh, your father bears witness. Well, who's your father? Over and over, over and over, just trying to stumbling over the reality that they will not come to grips to the exposing work of Jesus Christ. They'd rather stay in their ignorance, in their blindness, and go along their merry way. You know, the sad thing about that is Jesus tells them, warns them really in verse number 24, look at it with me, that they will receive that incurable darkness for eternity. I told you that. Verse 23, he says, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world and I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There is something worse than walking in this world in ignorance when it comes to God. There is dying in that condition. Separated, alienated from the life of God. To be exposed to the gospel, to have its work on us, to, to shine its light on the reality of Jesus coming into the world and living and dying a life that we couldn't live. And, and that if we would believe in him, that's what he's trying to tell these people, that if you would believe, you would be forgiven. You would walk in the light and have fellowship in the light. And, and there would be no darkness at all. But because you've rejected that light, all that is left for you is your heart's desire. And that is the darkness that you love. Not just now in this life but for eternity. That's his warning to them. Christ has come to expose us, and the warning in that exposure is that here, but there is joy found in it as well. Notice back in verse number 12. Not only does the light expose us, expose us, It enables us. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me, whoever looks to me, moves with me, listens to me, hears my word and follows after, they will walk in light. Going back to the illustration given to us or the example given to us, the children of Israel in the wilderness. They would camp until the light moved. When the light moved, they moved. 
They would follow God's guidance, his leading. Here, Jesus using that same illustration that if you would follow me, you would not walk in darkness. That's good news because we don't have to be in the midst of darkness, living in the midst of ignorance, groping around looking for life and your keys in the dark. No, you can walk in the light. What does he mean by that? Well, John tells us in 1 John that, that it means that we have fellowship with him in the light. There's communion and community. We've not only discovered who God is, but we are enjoying that intimate relationship, fellowship with Him in the light. But it also means that, that because we have been given this light and we're walking in this light, that there is no darkness that we experience in this life. We'll be able to snuff it out. Unconquerable light. Unable to be extinguished. Why? Because it springs up from the life that he gives us. That's why believers all over the world can live in some of the most darkest days that they've had in their economics and in their political situations, facing persecution, hiding, and as they've, they've had to do week after week and month after month and seeing heartache and, and disaster right after another. That's why they have hope today. That's why they can rejoice and sing and have confidence because the light that God has brought them into, Jesus Christ, will never be extinguished. In fact, what we read in the Word of God as you go on to the book of Revelation, it only grows. Until the Bible says in that new heaven and new earth, there will be no other light other than Jesus himself. We can face... Uh, as the old song we sing after communion tomorrow because he lives. We can have hope because he lives. We rejoice and walk in light because he is the light of the world. And we have communion and fellowship with him. He calls us out of darkness, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. What a glorious picture of salvation. Brought out of the dungeons of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, which is the kingdom of light. He is the light of the world. This command here, his promise is to any and all who would ever follow him. And any of you have experienced it in your own testimony that when you follow him, you walk in the light of, you walk in the, light of the Lord. Doesn't mean you have every answer to every riddle in life, does it? No, but it does mean you have come to understand who God is, what he's done for you. And in that, you're learning more and more of the reality of who you are and how to live in his world he's created. You know, the Bible says not only as we see this, this proclamation of Jesus being the light of the world and he's gone on into heaven. They're sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us just to bring a little Hebrews into this morning in case you think I forgot. But that exposure and that fellowship with him reminds us that he has called the church itself to be a light in this dark world. We read in 2 Corinthians that Moses, beholding the glory of God, his face was transformed. It, it, it shone. It, 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 it was bright. You could see it, light emanating from it. What did that look like? I don't know. I wasn't there. 
must have been a thing to behold. And in that same way in 2 Corinthians, he goes on and says, but we, (laughs) speaking of us, we behold the glory of the Lord. Now that glory is the brightness of the Lord, the, 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 the light, the We behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. And we are being transformed from glory to glory. And as we as a church walk in the light, as we commune with our Savior, who is the light of the world, that impact, it it radiates on us. We're to reflect that to a world that's still walking around in darkness and in the ignorance, looking for life and purpose with the lights off. We're called to go out into the darkness And to radiate the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who God is. This is what God has done. And this is what God has made us. Now I wish I could uh, pull a Rafiq and and do another little episode on. (laughs) Some of you might get that. Do another little episode on John 9. Because there's a perfect example of what Jesus is trying to teach us. There's a man born blind. And Jesus heals. That's the same thing that happens to us when we come to Christ. We who could not see in the presence of he who gives light and life opens our eyes. The Pharisees still in their unbelief even at a miracle of a man born blind. And the man said, has it ever been, has it ever happened before in the history of the world? A man from God works for God opens the eyes of the blind and you say he's a sinner he said i don't know at the end of the day he says i don't know all i know is this i was blind and now i see and as blessing as much of a blessing as that was to that man in his physical state how much of a blessing it is to us in our spiritual state that god has come and turned the lights on in our heart through the glorious gospel and knowledge of jesus christ our savior so let me just encourage you with that this morning and if you don't know him and you're still walking around in the darkness he says come to the light that you may see that you may have life that you may have it more abundantly let's pray father we thank you for this morning as we gather together thank you for your word thank you for the joy of of this season as we remind ourselves of who jesus is And really, we ought to, as a a people, as Christians, do that every day of the week. And yet we know we need reminders along the way to prod us along because we are so easily to forget. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for this weekend. We could celebrate with family and friends and uh, and together as a church, body of Christ. And so we, we just praise you for what you've done in our hearts, stirring and moving and encouraging. I pray that that's been the case. Let's uh, take these few moments and thoughts uh, from John's gospel. And let it resonate within us. Continue to work as we leave this place. For we are comforted in the knowing that your word will not return back void, but will do what you purpose for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen.